Welcome to Betrayal Trauma Recovery. This is Anne. I have a wonderful guest on today's episode. She's sharing her story and it's a really good one, so stay tuned. Before we get to that, we sometimes have issues with our website and I really want to thank everyone for their patience. When we have an issue with our website, always please just go back and double check. There was a little bit where people could not sign up for Betrayal Trauma Recovery Group. So always go back and double check. We're usually on top of that. If you do see an error on our website or something wrong, will you please email my assistant, Kari, K-A-R-I at btr.org so that we can get that fixed as soon as possible. And speaking of Betrayal Trauma Recovery Group, our members are reporting to us that they find Betrayal Trauma Recovery Group to be so safe and to be a wonderful way to get support right when they need it. We run so many groups every week. You can hop on, generally speaking, within a couple hours of any issue that you have when you need to talk to someone and you need support. We also set it up for women who have a hard time getting out of their homes, have a hard time getting childcare, have a hard time you know, really even functioning due to the trauma. So you can hop on one of the sessions in your closet, in your car, in your driveway, anywhere that you have cell reception, you can do it from your phone or your computer. So please check out the Betrayal Trauma Recovery Group schedule and join us. We'd love to see you in a session today. Just a heads up, today's um, episode, as I was listening back on it, I I get really excited because some of these things are just cry cry town right and I, I hear stories of this all the time and I'm, I'm I, I don't think I'm shocked anymore but I get very passionate so you'll hear that in my voice uh this week this is a two-part series so at the end make sure you stay tuned for the next week where we'll share the rest of her story I have Kelly Vogler on today's episode. Kelly is an advocate against abuse in all forms. She primarily works with women in the faith community who have experienced abuse in dating relationships and marriage, offering support on the road from surviving to thriving. She believes strongly in education on these topics and that the more you know, the safer and wiser you can be. And I could not agree with her more that education on this topic is so important. Kelly hopes that all of our churches will someday be the safe and loving haven that Jesus desires for all relationships. And although Kelly and I are both Christian, we know that many of you listeners are not. You're still welcome here. Please join us. We are interfaith and inner paradigm, and so we welcome everyone. Kelly holds a master's degree in leadership education and development from the University of Nebraska and is a graduate of Union College. Originally from Massachusetts, she has called Nebraska home for the past 12 years. She taught leadership classes at Union College for eight years and now works as the vice president of operations for Agilix, a software company in Lincoln, Nebraska. So Kelly and I met through our mutual friend, Sarah McDougall. If you have not heard our podcast with Sarah McDougall, you can search for that on the website and find it. We love Sarah and appreciate her fellowship. And we have Kelly, who has also been through her own personal story. So let's start there, Kelly. Tell us your story. Did you recognize your husband's abusive behaviors at first? I certainly did not. In fact, it was probably about three and a half years or so into our marriage before someone first told me that they could be considered abuse. I, up till that point, had always known abuse in my mind to be something that involved physical violence. And that was not at play at all in my marriage. I never had any bruises or or anything like that. And so while I knew things were not 
good and it was a very difficult relationship, I thought that that's all it was, that you get married for better or for worse and that we were going through a lot of the, the worst times is what it seemed like. During that time where you didn't recognize the abuse, were you aware of pornography use or, or any other consent issues related to your sexual relationship? I was not aware of pornography specifically, but a few months after we were married, it became extremely evident that I had married someone who was living a double life. There were very huge and extreme lies that were going on, and it was about four weeks, I think, into our marriage when I first started to discover all of these. For example, the one day that really stands out in my mind is started out just like any other day. I grabbed my things and I went off to work and he was in his last semester of undergraduate studies and was supposed to be graduating in just a few months after we were married. And I got to work and a little while later I realized I had left my charger for my laptop back at the house. So I finished up a meeting with a client and I ran home to grab it. And when I walked in the front door, he was there sitting on the couch in the living room. And I was very confused because I knew that he was supposed to be in classes at that time. So I had no idea why he was there. And obviously I jumped a little bit when I opened the door, not thinking anyone would be there. And I said, what are you doing here? He was so flustered and he started mumbling all about how he had a big test coming up for school that he needed to study for. So he was skipping classes in order to focus on that. And I remember in my head thinking, well, the semester just started a few weeks ago. He really should not be at that point yet of needing to skip things to study for an exam when he's only had class for a few weeks. But like I said, it was kind of in the middle of the workday. I needed to get back to work. So I just said, all right, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it later. And I left. It took around two months or so after that to really try and figure out what exactly was going on. And I knew that he had a history of not doing very well in school. So I was immediately very concerned and worried about it. And really, every time I tried to talk to him, he just never had any straight answers on anything. So eventually, time after time of trying to ask, okay, well, what time are your classes? Or which day do you have classes on? Or when do you have projects due here? Just so I could keep up with it all. He couldn't figure it out and eventually got to the point where I said, well, why don't you just log into your portal online so I can look at it with you and try and sort through all of this so that we're both on the same page and not confused here. And he couldn't do that either. And I told him, well, you know, try and go to the IT department. Maybe you need to get your account reset, all of that sort of thing. Eventually, a couple weeks later, he still couldn't do it. And I eventually sat down with him and I just said, okay, right here, right now, you need to pull up the site while I'm sitting with you and log in. And after an hour or so of arguing about that, eventually it came out that he was not in school. And in fact, he had dropped out of school for about the last two years. So that entire time period that we were dating, engaged, and newly married, I have no idea how he was spending his time, actually. <laughs> um, no one had any idea about this. His parents, everyone in his family thought he was attending classes. All of his friends did as well. But all of our conversations, he was basically just falsifying information along the way. So after that, when I realized that such a huge, significant part of our lives was just completely upturned and I felt like the rug was just taken out from underneath me, I started to question other things that seemed to be confusing or just kind of struck me as something wasn't quite right. 
And through that, what I did discover is that he had been having multiple affairs while we were dating. I don't know if any of that happened after we were married or not, but I quickly discovered he had slept with more than one woman multiple times all throughout the three and a half years that we had been dating. So while I'm not sure if pornography itself was at play, there was definitely sexual infidelity at work throughout the time we we're together. Mm-hmm. Well, and this story is consistent with pornography use. I'm not accusing him of pornography use, but I am saying the likelihood of him using pornography is extremely high. And the other thing about pornography is that it's not something that is discoverable. So even if he was using pornography and you never saw it and he doesn't own up to it, you would never know. There's no way to like prove it or disprove it or whatever. So if I was a betting person, which I am not, definitely bet that he used pornography for sure. Interesting. Wow. I think it's so fascinating that we as victims, through no fault of our own, because we're caring, compassionate, kind people, he runs you in circles for months about not going to school and you're concerned and trying to help him out and all of that. And not once probably until later, did you think, wait a minute, it's not that he can't log in or that he needs a password. It wasn't until a few months later that you realized it's because he's not even enrolled. Yeah. I never honestly crossed my mind that I would need to be a detective with my spouse. I did not grow up in a home like that. My parents have a great, great marriage and a great relationship where they work as partners together. And so when I entered my own marriage, that's what I was anticipating. But it it quickly became evident that that's not the case of what was going on. And the story of that beginning part, that's just a quick, brief snippet of things. We stayed married for close to five years. And throughout that time, there were three different occasions where I believed he was actually graduating from college. He falsified grade reports that he would show me. I threw him a giant graduation party at one point with about 40 of our closest friends there. And after the party, he just blew up at me. And he was so furious that I would go and do something like that. And I was confused. And I thought it was something that he was just embarrassed about, knowing that he had had trouble in school. So again, there's, you know, that aspect of, of going in circles and playing on that side of me of knowing that I was trying to have that empathy to understand, wow, maybe I misstepped my bounds here. I shouldn't have done that. I thought it was considerate, but it wasn't something he wanted. And really the only way I did discover in the end that he did not graduate was because I graduated from my master's program and we went to the same university. And so when I got the list of graduates, I saw my name there and his was not there. And that was the only way that I had found out. It doesn't matter the extent of the lie. Yours was huge. Some of them are a lot smaller. But either way, for some reason, just saying, you know what? I'm not going to school. I'm not going to graduate is like beyond them. It's a pretty simple thing to say. I don't want to go to school. Instead, I'm going to work at the local cell phone store or whatever. Right? I'm going to work at Costco. It doesn't matter. There are a lot of really great jobs that people can get that they don't require a college degree. It doesn't mean you're a failure. Lots of people have great jobs that don't require a college degree. So at any point during this time, he could have said, you know what? I don't want to go to college. I'm not going to go. I'm going to get this other job. But it sounds like in his world, for some reason, that was not an option for him because people would look at him differently or whatever. He wanted the entitlements that come along with that. He also apparently didn't want to get a regular job, I guess. Right? Because was he employed at all during this time? 
I'm actually not sure. <laughs> he bounced around a lot on different part-time jobs, but it was never very consistent. The number one question I get asked about all of this when I share these details is, what was his end game here? You know, at some point, someone is going to find out he doesn't have a degree. The very first job that he got after he allegedly had graduated, he ended up being fired from that job because he falsified his information and told them that he did have a degree when he didn't. So I think the most difficult part of this is to try and recognize that our brains just function very differently here. While we all recognize that this is not going to work in the long run, this won't be able to continue, that just did not connect for him somehow. I think a lot of it was a pride issue. He was very set on attending med school, as shockingly as that sounds. Well, we paid for the MCAT, at least I thought we had. I'm not sure what he used all that money for now. And he actually did not take the exam, I learned months later, but he did forge MCAT scores and he had those mailed to our house so that I would open them up and see them in the mail. And the tricky part with all this is I think he's very intelligent. And so I think he felt that not going to school would mean he's working a job that is below his, his potential. Um, because I do remember sitting down and talking about those MCAT scores and asking, well, why did we spend this money on this if you're not even in school right now? How could you even take the test if you're not in school right now? The national programs like this, they check those sorts of things. So how did that even happen? And eventually through that, I discovered that he hadn't taken it. But the one point that sticks out in my mind is that he was so proud of the detail that he had gone to for the forgery. I remember him showing me the paper and talking about how he measured out the margins and all of the indentations everywhere so that there's no way I would ever be able to guess that it had been falsified. Wow. If he had only put that much effort into school. <laughs> That's exactly what I said. <laughs> I had a conversation with someone who told me this abuse stance you take about pornography use is so extreme. They were telling me it's so extreme. You know, these guys are really good guys who use porn. And I'm like, I don't argue with you that some of them seem like really good guys. But if someone is willingly using pornography without their wife's knowledge, knowing that if she knew she would be upset, knowing that if I tell her that I use porn, she's going to be upset. So I'm just going to wear my white shirt and tie to church every week. I'm going to participate. I'm going to act like I don't use porn for all intents and purposes. And every time porn comes up, I'm going to be like, yeah, porn's not cool, whatever. Like that is serious stuff. This is not just like, oh, he's ashamed or he's embarrassed. Like it's very serious. It's a serious consent issue. And your husband, people would be like, whoa, this guy is a psychopath, right? I'm sure a lot of people have said that to you when you tell them the story. Like, holy cow, the extent that he went to. But I don't think people realize that men go to this extent just to cover their porn use quite a bit, like a lot. It's very, very common. And I think it's interesting that people think it's extreme. I'm like, no, it's actually pretty common. Women are going through hell a lot. It's very Serious stuff when you're married to someone and they're willing to lie to you like that about college or about porn or about anything else, right? To that extent. Absolutely. And, you know, 
it wasn't until I finally went to a counselor for myself and started to learn some of these things of how this actually was abuse. This was not just us going through a difficult time or I had it in my head that I was overly controlling. And so he was feeling pressured and embarrassed. And that's why he would hide things because I was just too controlling or putting too much pressure on him. But one thing my counselor actually did recommend was to do a psych evaluation. And in my case, I have a little bit of a different scenario because where we were, I was actually the one that was financially stable. I had the education, I had the career, and he was the one that was floundering throughout all of it. So we eventually got to a crossroads where I told him, you either are moving out of the house now, or you need to go and have this psyche bell done so we can try and figure out what we're working with here. And when the results from that came back, they did say that he had a personality disorder and that it was likely an antisocial personality disorder, which is sociopathy. So in, in my case, I did get a bit of that closure there of having that medical explanation behind it a little bit and having the doctor there in the room turn to me and say, you need to get out now and you need to run as fast and as far as you can because he will never, ever change. And not many women get that. A lot of them have this inkling that something is wrong, but they don't get that official diagnosis piece. And what I try to say to them is, is very much what you're talking about with just the action of covering up pornography or other things. At the end of the day, it really doesn't matter if you have that diagnosis or not. At the end of the day, that is not a healthy relationship. That is manipulative, controlling behavior. And it doesn't matter what they're trying to cover up or what sort of diagnosis they may or may not have officially on a paper there at the end of the day, it's just not right. Exactly. The other thing I think is interesting is coming from a religious perspective, most of the religious people that I know believe in change, right? Especially Christians. They're like, Christ made everything possible. With God, all things are possible. Nothing is impossible with Christ, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so to say this person's ever going to change, most religious people put up a little bit of a like, well, wait, that's what Christ is for, right? That's what the atonement was for. And so they get a little bit like, no, I, I think people can. I genuinely do think people can change. And so with that, I want to say like, okay, can you hold the space for both of these places that someone can change, but if they have not changed, they haven't changed, right? And so if in the future, clearly he hasn't changed yet, you would know, right? The victim would know. The victim would know because he would act different. He would come and he would admit every single thing. He would try to make restitution. There are so many things that he would do, but he's not done any of those things. So we know he hasn't changed, but there's such a difference between someone saying I will change or I can change and actually changing. They're, they're two totally different things. And the religious community hasn't really like figured that out yet. They haven't figured out that just believing someone can change is not the equivalent of someone actually being changed. Oh, definitely. Because, you know, I think it goes back to how you see God's character. And I believe in a God who gives us free will. He is not going to force anything on us. And I can sit and I can hope and pray all along that my husband will change. But if my husband's not willing to do that work and he's not willing to put in the effort for it, that's not going to happen. Really in a nutshell, if he's not willing to obey the commandments, there's a commandment that says, be honest. You cannot change, according to Christian philosophy, if you're unwilling to obey the commandments. That is the barrier to your change. Thus, God says, if you don't obey the commandments, you will be what? 
damned or stopped, right? And so if someone says, yeah, I can change, but they're not willing to obey the commandments, they're not going to change. Eventually, that's what I had to learn in my own marriage was that it didn't matter that I was willing to do anything and everything to save it and that I was bending over backwards with everything. We got to the point where I was working full time. I was in grad school full time and I was telling him, don't worry about any of the housework at home or anything like that because you just really, really need to graduate and figure this out. Someone had to eventually tell me, Kelly, you know, you can do all of that, but at the end of the day, like it is still his choice. It is still his decision to make and to make a marriage work. You need two people to be on board with that. You can't just have one person take on everything and for it to still work. The other issue is, do you really want to be married to someone who you literally have to do everything in order for them to do just menial tasks? Yeah, that's a good question. And I should clarify there, you know, I certainly had my bad days where I didn't do anything at all and and didn't always respond well to things. So this was not that I was this perfect Christian on a pedestal and he was just absolutely awful. Um, But I will say that thought that you just mentioned, that never even crossed my mind because I was, I was raised in a very conservative Christian church that believed that divorce was not right. And I never considered that divorce was an option throughout this entire time. The only reasons I knew divorce to be okay were if you were being physically abused or if there was an affair taking place. To show you kind of where my mindset was at that time, I actually insisted that we go to a marriage counselor right away. You know, right after that, four weeks in, when I found out something's not right here, I said, you know, hey, I'm the good Christian wife. What do we do? We go to counseling. (laughs) We try and figure this out. I expected the counselor to respond back and have some sort of horror, I guess, about what had taken place or about the depth of the deception that was going on. But instead, he just kind of said, well, you know, your guys are still kind of young and and it sounds like he's just really struggling here and needs to figure some things out for himself along the way. And hopefully once you get through that, things will be good. And you guys need to remember that you're married now. So you don't tell anyone else about this. This is a marriage issue between husband and wife. And I stuck to that for four years. I didn't tell any family or friends at all what was going on. And it wasn't until, like I said, about four years had gone by. And I got to the point where I actually told my husband one day, I said, if you cannot stop this, if you cannot stop this lying about everything, then you need to go and find a prostitute to sleep with. Because if you do that, then I know that I can file for divorce that mindset now I'm completely horrified by (laughs) Um, just the legalism behind that of thinking, wow, is that the God that I serve who thinks, okay, as long as you check off this one exact specific box, then it's okay to leave. But part of that was, was kind of continually said to me because I went back to that counselor at the beginning and I went back and I met with him on my own. And I said, look, I've now found out not just about the lying that has to do with school. There was financial infidelity at play here. And I told him about the affairs that I had learned about. And I said, I didn't know about these until after I got married. They took place before the wedding, but I didn't find out about them until after. Mm -hmm. Which is known as fraud. Fraud, right? Lack of consent. Yes. (laughs) Yes. I said, you know, could I get an annulment or a divorce? based on some sort of thing of qualifying for like basically being deceived into marrying him under false pretenses here or just the sexual infidelity. 
And he told me, well, no, that's not considered adultery because you guys weren't married at the time. That's, I hear this all the time. Porn or, or porn even, right? He, you're, you're in a, you're married and he's using porn. It's not considered adultery because, and it's like, this is serious people, right? I do not want this in my relationship. I did not get to give consent. And here this is happening and I need more backup. They're getting enabled through the therapist, through clergy, through society. And the expectations for a man are like, well, that he can maybe hold a job and maybe struggle through school. But the expectations for a woman are like so much higher, right? She's got to be able to keep the house clean and look good and make a good meal and you know all that other stuff absolutely okay we're gonna pause there and continue kelly's story next week you will want to hear the rest of it i appreciate her for coming on today's episode and we'll catch up with her again next week if this podcast is helpful to you please support us go to our website btr.org scroll to the bottom and click on support the podcast similarly every single one of your ratings on itunes or other podcasting apps helps isolated women find us for those of you who have purchased my new book trauma mama husband drama thank you thank you thank you and for those of you who have reviewed it on amazon same thing there every amazon review helps isolated women find us it helps women find btr when they're searching for things on amazon even if they don't purchase the book if they see the book with reviews um the website btr.org is there and they can find it so please review that book if you haven't bought it yet go to our books page btr dot org backslash books again betrayal trauma recovery group is here for you when you join you get unlimited live sessions a month from the privacy of your own home we'd love to see you in a session today until next week stay safe out there <laughs>